Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the last class in this year's uh, Truth and Happiness Review. Um, you'll see that this relates, or it's an additional teaching on the five clinging aggregates that we reviewed first, I think, in week seven or eight. Um, this is called the Anatta Lakana Sutta. I probably say this more than I should, but it is one of the most important suttas because it points to the problem, the problem of eye-making, the problem of selfing, how to recognize it through recognizing uh, the five clinging aggregates, which are the Buddha's description of the ongoing personal experience of dukkha. Uh, so understanding what is taught here is understanding the very basic, basic uh, foundation of the Dhamma. Let me get to it. I've seen, um, this is one that I think the first seven or eight retreats um, was historically taught on Saturday night. And I remember, and some of you would remember that there were people that heard this sutta um, and you could see that they gained great insight into what we're talking about. So um, the Anatta Lakana Sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at Benares in, in the deer park at Isipatana. There he addressed a group of five bhikkhus, uh, or monks. Bhikkhus, form is not self. Were form self, then this form would not lead to suffering, and one could have it be any form desired and be stress-free. Since form is not self, form is, is this self-identification with this body as mine. Since form is not self, it leads to suffering, and none can have it be any form desired and be stress-free. So we don't have sovereignty over this. this. This thing that we think is us and that we think is all of us is simply the vehicle that resolves itself as a resting point to what's occurring. Anything else in relation to this body, it's good, bad, it's young, old, it's not tall enough, it's too short, it's too heavy, it's too this, it's the wrong sex, all of that is identifying with this form and all the other things that we do about that because the list is endless. Um, and because we attach uh, a, a fabricated idea to what this is, it is always going to lead to stress. Is everybody following me? And that's why the Buddha is saying it's not self. It might be a little bit confusing. Because, okay, if this is not self, what is it? Well, that's what the rest of the Dhamma and the rest of the Sutta explains. And then the Buddha relates to the other four of the five clinging aggregates. Bhikkhus, feeling is not self, as perceptions are not self. Fabrications are not self. Consciousness is not self. I think if you remember part of dependent origination, you don't have to, don't you know, screw your brains up trying to remember it, but you might see a connection here. And it's okay if you don't. If the aggregates were self, they would not lead to suffering, and one could direct these aggregates as one wished. So just to think about um, a feeling that you don't want to have, or you might blame that feeling on someone else. The reason why you're doing it is you're identifying with the feeling. You're making it real, 
you're over exaggerating it by eye making and it leads to stress instead of recognizing that this, this feeling is not me. It's simply an impermanent occasion. Sometimes that feeling that we have, if we're um, not sometimes, if we can stay present with our feeling and not let our feeling be any different than it is, now we're present for our life, aren't we? But when we want our feelings to be different, more or less, or no feeling at all, now we're eye-making with feeling. And we do the same thing with perceptions and fabrications. Um, since these are not self, they can only lead to suffering, and no one can have these aggregates be as they wish. Bhikkhus, how do you perceive this? Is form permanent or impermanent? I wish Kevin Hart was here. The five replied, impermanent, venerable sir. That's the part that Kevin does well. Now, is what is impermanent, painful, or pleasant? It's painful, venerable sir. Now, I want you all to call me venerable sir, at least for today. Now, is what is impermanent, what is painful, since subject to change, is this fit to be regarded as this is mine, this is I, this is myself? And the answer, no, venerable sir. Then the Buddha asks, is feeling permanent or impermanent? Is perception permanent or impermanent? Are fabrications permanent or impermanent? Is consciousness permanent or impermanent? All are impermanent, venerable sir. So if they're all impermanent, why would we attach ourselves to any aspect of something that is impermanent? It's like deciding that a cloud passing overhead is you. And what happens when you do that? The cloud is gone. You're gone. That's annihilation. And so we are actually annihilating ourselves, taking ourselves out of our own life by identifying with form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, all wrapped up in consciousness. In this case, it's not some kind of grand cosmic consciousness. It's simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So that, that type of consciousness is the container that maintains suffering by keeping these other aggregates clung together. Capiche? <laughs> that word once in a while. Everybody understands? The Buddha continues. Now, as what is impermanent, what is painful, since it is subject, subject, subject to change, is that fit to be regarded as this is mine, this is, this is I, this is myself? Of course, the answer is no, venerable sir. So, bhikkhus, any kind of form, whatever, whether past, future, or presently arisen, now that was, that's so important during the Buddhist time and our time. We think that if we do everything right and we're really good people, at some point in the future, it might be the next moment that we're hoping for, but then we'll be good to go. That's going against the Dhamma, isn't it? Because it's saying, I'm not good enough in this moment, but maybe the next moment I will. Even within our Dhamma practice, we can apply that kind of pressure on ourselves rather than just simply be a reference point to this class that we're having right now. And that's the way to study so bhikkhus, any kind of form, whatever, whether past, future, or presently arisen, right? If I'm identifying with this form right here in this moment, that's what the Buddha's talking about. Whether gross or subtle, so even during the Buddhist time, as in our time, we get into magical thinking that we have some kind of astral bodies or, or um, external, um, I can't even make sense of it, even though I used to believe in it. So having an external body that is relating to this body somehow, gross or subtle, whether internal or external, whether inferior or superior. So the, the Buddha is covering all the ways that human beings can think of themselves. I'm the greatest there ever was. I'm the biggest piece of you know what that ever was. 
and everything in between. It's all identifying with the aggregates, whether inferior or superior, whether far or near, must, must, with right understanding of how it actually is, be regarded as this is not mine, this is not I, this is not myself. So every time we feel any kind of agitation, uh, anytime we, we recognize that we're taking something personal, the way out is to take a breath and remind yourself, as the Buddha taught by here, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Every time. And if you can remember to do that as stress is arising, you will immediately interrupt that stress arising. You'll be able to take a breath and unite your mind and your body. Now, in the very next moment, that stress might be arising again. And what do we do? We take a breath to remind ourselves, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And as we continue to do that, and including our daily practice, two meditation sits using the guided meditations on the web on the website, that will continually reinforce what we learned in the second class of this suit of this study, <clears throat> the four foundations of mindfulness. Which again, I think you'll see how the four foundations of mindfulness relate directly to what we're talking about here too. And so the the first foundation of mindfulness is to be mindful of the breath and the body that begins to calm the mind. The second foundation of mindfulness is to be mindful of feelings arising and passing away. That, that's, the, that's the training for what we're doing with our aggregates here. Does everybody see that? And so there's a direct correlation between proper jhana meditation and undoing eye-making. The next foundation of, of, the, of the next foundation of mindfulness is to be mindful of thoughts arising and passing away. Or, or recognize that a thought is now attached to a feeling. That's an emotion. It's eye-making, isn't it? It's taking it personally. So you can see that we cling a, a thought to a feeling. It's the same as maintaining these clinging aggregates. And the last foundation of mindfulness is, the, is to be mindful of the present quality of mind. As we can develop our, our I was going to say jhana practice, but our dhamma practice, that fourth foundation of mindfulness is, is the, the consciousness that we live in. And if we can be dispassionate and impersonal about that fourth foundation of mindfulness, it won't lead our lives. It won't lead us into deeper ignorance. What am I talking about? What I'm talking about, and I often close our meditation sessions this way, be at peace with your mind. Sometimes I say it this way, be at peace with a less than peaceful mind state. And that means you've controlled your mind. So dukkha occurs as a consequence of having a human life. There's going to be things that are unpleasant. Um, maybe it's even that the world seems like it's going too fast for us in this moment, whatever it is. Or it could be something like a, a, a great um, uh, a physical disaster. Whatever it is, if we're, if we're attaching ourselves to it, we're going to be stressed about it. If we're simply recognizing that this is, have, this is as a consequence of having a human life, and I can simply be a reference point to what is occurring, now no stress is arising. I'm still living my life. In fact, I am living my life in a much more vital and meaningful way if I can do this. If I can uncouple these five clinging aggregates and see clearly what's arising in this moment. <coughs> the Buddha continues. Let, let me just say that if, so if we can do this in this moment, remind ourselves that this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. The Buddha then says, and so it follows that any kind of feeling, whatever, any kind of perception, 
any kind of determination, any kind of consciousness, whatever, determination is another word for fabrication, any kind of consciousness, whatever, whether past, future, or presently arisen. If I do all this, I'm going to feel better. You lost your mind, right? Because you're not here for this moment. Whether past, future, or presently arisen, whether gross or subtle, whether in, in, in oneself or external, whether inferior or superior, I'm the smartest guy there is, and I want to get more and more knowledge to prove how smart I am. Whether near or far, must, with right understanding of how it actually is, be regarded as, this is not mine, this is not I, this is not myself. Again, the Buddhists are reinforcing, anytime you find yourself in eye-making, remind yourself what you're doing. The Buddha continues, because when a noble follower who has heard the truth seen in this way, they find that this is such an important way of looking at this. They find estrangement in form. This was a tough thing for me to you know, kind of restore and get the right word. And it's a little bit of an odd word, isn't it? Estrangement. We don't use it often. But what, what we're talking about is to become unfamiliar or estranged. Now my, my form is strange to me. I don't identify with it. This feeling is strange. It's not something that I identify with. Etc. Etc. They find estrangement in feeling. They find estrangement in perception. They find estrangement in determination or in fabrication. It's it's like a, a, a stepping back from from this identification. Yeah, Zoom say, out. say that a little bit louder, Ron, please. It's like a stepping back from this identification. You're, Everybody heard that? You're you're no longer right on top of it. Yep. It, it's the same thing as saying. Um, I don't know. I don't know who Vladimir Putin's. Why am I using that? Um, second cousin is. He's strange to me. It's the same with our form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness. They become strange. They're not something that we're identifying with. They find estrangement in consciousness. Then the Buddha says, when they find estrangement, passion fades out. When this whole conglomeration, this whole aggregate of things. When it's strange to me, obviously the, the passion that I have for maintaining it and continuing it will simply fall away. So when we talk about the Dhamma is gentle, this is really what we're talking about. We're not doing hard work here, even though the understanding and the practice takes some diligence. It becomes very gentle when we start letting go of these things. When we, when we stop identifying with this is me, this is mine, this is what I am. When they find estrangement, passion fades out. With the fading of passion, they are liberated. We are liberated. When liberated, there is knowledge that they are liberated. We know it. How do we know it? Because we found estrangement in these things that we used to think were, were us. We have the direct experience of it, as the Buddha teaches. Come and see for yourself. Don't just listen to that crazy bald guy once in a while. Come and see for yourself. Because that's why we teach this gentle Dhamma. So you can liberate yourself. The Buddha continues, they understand. Birth is exhausted. The integrated life has been lived out. What does it mean? Birth is exhausted. It means in this moment, there's nothing left within me. And the Buddha often would say it this way. There's nothing left within me 
to give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. That's the kind of birth that's exhausted. The integrated life has been lived out. Integrated is always referring to the Eightfold Path. The integrated life has been lived out. What can be done is done. Of this, there is no more beyond. What, what are we talking about, no more beyond? Have, have we just vanished from existence? No, we're talking about eye-making. There is no more beyond this. Once we do this, there, there's no more stress. There's no more suffering. There's no more beyond. Now, during this discourse, the hearts and minds of those bhikkhus were liberated from craving, aversion, and deluded thinking. In other words, they awakened. That's the end of the sutta, the end of this review. I hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Mary, I'd like to start with you, if I may. Well, I know I've heard this before. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's very fresh. Um, one of the things I said on the retreat that, <clears throat> when I first started the practice and even now you still run into uh, a feeling attached to emotion um, that feels like rock solid cement and it's not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. And um, the understanding of the five clinging aggregates as not self is the release of that. So I, I can't say that in this moment, there's like a particular emotion and feeling I'm thinking about um, that I've let it go, but I know it's possible, right? Yeah. So um, I'm gonna have to do a little bit more work on that or um, just uh, come back to my breath, right? Um, go back to, um, you know, really everything we just experienced on the retreat about mindfulness and concentration and the practice um, to, to sort of let that one, it's just something that came up yesterday and to let that one thing go. I'm just going to, I haven't had that happen in a while. I, you know, I'm uh, since the beginning of the practice. So anyway, that's just something that's going on for me and this is very timely. And so I thank you for the teaching. Thank you, Mary. You said something so important. You said you know that it's possible. Yeah. And that, mm -hmm. that means you know because of your own direct experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. not just theory. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of knowing we're talking about. It's not just theory. It's not just intellectual. It's a direct experience. Mm -hmm. that, we talk about knowing. That's what we're talking about. Right. Thank you, Mary. Right. Thank you. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, John. Steve? You're part of everybody, I guess. Um, <laughs> there's that word consciousness again. <laughs> uh, you, you describe that as a container for thinking, for what you're thinking in the moment. A container for the, for the other four aggregates. Yeah. Um, no, it just occurred to me that, that that, that there's a connection with the the, the term self-consciousness, mm -hmm. right? That, yeah. that consciousness typically is 
about the self. You're self-conscious about something. Yeah. Uh, and therein lies dukkha. Yeah, therein lies dukkha, for sure. So what I trip up on is that the opposite of conscious would be unconscious. Which the, So we're not looking at an opposite to these, any of these. I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, yeah. that, that is a logical way of thinking that, okay, if I get rid of my consciousness, my thinking, I am unconscious. But in the context that we're talking about, this kind of consciousness is just ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So as we develop the Dhamma, our consciousness then becomes pure. And so that pure consciousness is now the reference point to what's occurring. There's no eye-making in that, in that type of consciousness. So we don't lose... The only thing we lose in developing the Dhamma is self-imposed stress, self-imposed confusion. We're not living our life that way. We always want more or less rather than using what we have here. You know, we, we're, we are, the Dhamma um, returns us to our own humanity, doesn't it? By allowing us to actually live in this moment where this moment is the only moment that life exists. And I think if we all just think about that a little bit, we'd, we would accept that. Of course it is. My life is just this moment. I can go back in history and say this happened, but it's not what's happening now, right? So my consciousness is a, um, a container, if you will, for either the five clinging aggregates or simply my own humanity in this moment, right? Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, it's kind of going from, from self-consciousness to unself-consciousness. <laughs> you could say it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or really just, just a pure human consciousness. It, it's the... It's a liberated mind. You know, we talk about liberation. We've said it three or four times in the sutta. And that's what we're doing. We're liberating our consciousness, the only consciousness we have, the only vehicle for thinking that we have, mm -hmm. and we're cleaning it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, like consciousness is the fabric of our thinking that allows us to orient to our environment, to ourselves, to identify ourselves as something dis distinct from other things in the environment and also yeah. you know where thinking happens where stories and containers get created and how we uh, orient and and categorize and yeah that's consciousness yeah and and if we can do all mm -hmm. of that without with this passion yes we have liberated ourselves and why not live our lives liberated and free from my every every difficulty i've ever had had to do with me and myself everything everything think about it. i mean i think you would say that's a true statement for yourself too isn't it i can always blame we can always say that the cause was this and the cause was that but the ultimate cause of my stress and suffering was the way that i was taking it personally mommy i want another cookie no you can't Right? And the hindrances are the argument that you have within yourself to say there are exceptions. Yeah, you hear what David said too, that's so important. It's the hindrances that arise that, that force us with that type of un impure consciousness to take things personal. Everything but that because that's the exception. And there's no yeah. exceptions. Yeah. 
<clears throat> Jeff, did you have anything else you'd like to say? No, no, no. I just, uh, uh, I, I guess it, personally, it, it kind of reveals my own uh, enchantment with intellect at times. Yep. And, and so that it, that when I think of consciousness versus unconsciousness, it, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Right. So in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that's, that's where I get tripped up in my thinking is that um, as opposed to thinking of unrefined consciousness versus skillful or refined consciousness. Yes. So the, un uh, the, the, unconscious experience comes when we run out of breath that's unconsciousness so there is no unconsciousness i mean if you get hit in the head and you pass out you're unconscious but your brain is still working as soon as you wake up as long as there's no real injury you're back with whatever present moment consciousness you have so consciousness is is from birth to death it doesn't there is no such thing as unconsciousness in the dharma Saga mom's got something I for think it, I think it's, like Jeff said, I think it's good. It's helpful to think of it as skillful and unskillful consciousness yeah. Yeah. rather than there being no consciousness because yeah. there can't be no consciousness. Yeah. Um, Why would we want that? We, um, so, <coughs> or, or just a different kind of consciousness. consciousness. Skillful mm -hmm. is different than unskillful. Yeah. And that's that's what we're trying for. Yeah. To get skillful as much as, as we can. Yeah. As often as we can. Yeah. Yeah. As gently as we can as well. Exactly. Thank Thanks, Jeff. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, everyone. John, thank you for the teaching. Um I do want to share a quick story actually. Uh <clears throat> So I went to an aquarium with my dad the other day and it was by Philadelphia. So well, we did go into Philadelphia to go somewhere as well, but um, you know, it was over a two hour drive and uh, this was a really meaningful day for me because I still had a good time despite this happening, which, which, then leads to me not taking this personal. So, and that's why I had a good time. So yeah. I'm, we're, I'm driving uh, and I want to say almost the whole ride, my dad was kind of just go left. Why are you going this way? Don't go that highway. The GPS is wrong. Go right. Stop here. Red light. Yeah, green. <laughs> green, go. Where's your blinker? Bup, this, 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 this. <laughs> when I really thought I was driving perfectly fine, I drive slow. I'm so no matter what, there's always something to say. But you know, I still had an amazing time with him because when he was in the past, if he would do that, I would have this like anger arising in me and wanting him to be different. And you know, I can talk. I can understand um, when when you teach things like this, um, but until I actually experience it myself, that that actually just didn't arise and it just dwindled yeah. away. It was, I recognized it in the moment. Wow, I'm not even mad that he's doing this yeah. right now. I used to get mad when he did this. Yeah. So 
I kind of just didn't take anything right. personal and it was, it just naturally happened. It didn't yeah. I wouldn't even try. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Julia. That's a perfect example of, of wise Dhamma practice, properly applied. You know, you didn't take anything personal. And it was a great test because your father was intending you to take it personally. He was working hard at you doing that. And, right? I mean, that, that was a point, and you didn't. And so you had a great time with your dad. I, would, I had kind of similar experience. My dad was a real nudge. To, I mean, he lived to 101, so there was a lot of nudges. Um, but I remember on his 80th birthday, I was walking out of the house, and I, you know, when your parents get around that, you start thinking, is this the last time I'll see him alive? But I was also allowing him to get me aggravated, um, just a little bit. The nudge was still getting in there. And I just had this thought that he's 80 years old. He's never, ever going to change. Why would I expect him to? He can't. Or maybe he could, but it wasn't up to me for him to change. And we were best friends since I, I quit drink when I was 26. And we were best friends our entire life. I'm lucky. But that little bit changed everything from between me and my dad. He was just this, this loving, cute little guy. And you know, that, was, that was my experience with him and, you know, for 21 more years. So it's really great when we can liberate ourselves from our own ignorance. And that's what we're talking about, Julia. So thank you so much for that. Dr. Kevin. Morning, John. Morning, everyone. Um, thank you for this teaching, John. Um, this really is what it all comes down to, uh, really, what the, the whole course is, what the whole Nam is. But it's just amazing, like, the stubbornness of eye-making. <laughs> Even after Chana meditation for years and years, you know, I can sit and start to meditate and every other second or minute eye making comes in and it just wants to take over it's just anatta is just so so strong it's almost like the battle between buddha and mara you know it's just yeah. it's just there 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 always and then but you know with the training if I pay attention enough to our breathing or if we all pay attention enough to our breathing, then eventually we can get to the space of calm and we can see the liberation that is, that awaits us. So it's just, you know, it's just amazing. It really just boils down to this point, but uh, yeah. also just thank you for this entire course. Again, it's always fresh. And really, thank you all and all our teachers, too, for uh, the retreat last weekend. I went back and listened to the teachings, and it was fantastic. So really uh, was. keep coming back and keep suppressing this eye-making or trying. Yeah, we're going to keep doing it. So I will, uh, I'm will. i going to see you Tuesday, huh? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Great. Okay. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Kevin. Sangamon. Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, I think I don't. I don't really have a lot more to say about this. I just um, feel like I'm really beginning to. Everything is sort of coming together as far as the teachings, and one thing that came together today was that we have form, feelings, perceptions, and fabrications. And they're all 
sort of the, the fact that they're all bound together by consciousness is really not something that I I really felt or I perceived before. And I think that's helpful. Yeah. Just to just to realize that that is what's what's happening with the five clinging aggregates. Yeah. And um, it's very helpful to know also that to realize that the consciousness, because I used to get hung up on that word consciousness all the time. Mm. A lot of people and do. to realize that consciousness is is always there and it's just a different consciousness that we are seeking to to obtain and to practice and to realize through our through our meditation. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like that. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, everybody. Um, so what Becky said and what Jen said and what Julia said and what Dr. Kevin said, <laughs> uh, it's all become very jarringly real to me over the past two weeks when I finally gotten that twice daily uh, job meditation uh, practice going. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just, just absolutely striking. What I'm taking away and that I... I've been telling myself this during, you know, as I sort of get back to my breath in uh, in meditation, is you know, go go easy on yourself. Don't be so angry about those thoughts and feelings and yeah. things that are arising, and yeah. it's like they're gonna happen. Yeah, you know, stop getting pissed off about it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the being gentle is the part that I'm, uh, you know, coming to understand a little bit better now. Like that thing. Um, but uh, it's all the rest of it is just absolutely. <laughs> the 35 years mm. trying to get to this point. The past is not you. Right. <laughs> Are you using the, the guided meditation sure from the I'm website? Sure. Listen to your dulcet tones every day. Dulcet <laughs> tones. I love that. I love it too. I love dulcet tones. That's really good. You, you find I gotta go look it up because I don't know what it means. It's starting to have an effect on how you relate to other people. Uh, absolutely. Like. And and my yeah. work and stress, which is you know, what kind of trip pushing was it? I was just getting, getting bulldozed by stress. I'm like, John keeps saying that I should, you know, we should do this to help with stress. I'm going to do it. Um, so yeah, that and you know my patience with my family. Yeah. Um, you know, people I work with. You know, the work that it, it itself. Mm. Yeah, and as you become more accepting of yourself, you become more accepting as a, of, other, of other people. It's just like that. You know, I mean, I used to argue. I, was, I mean, I I grew up arguing my way through the first 26 years of my life, well, longer than that, 30 years of my life. And it just it just messed up every relationship I had with my family, with with friends, with associates. Mm -hmm. It was just my thing. I I, I, was, I used to make up arguments just so I could try to win them. Um, well, and you still like me with that. I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Only with you though. No, we like the last uh, at the last World Dharma retreat. Yeah, you were just picking arguments just to have a nice argument. Oh well, that was different. That was on retreat. Well, oh. <laughs> See what see what happens here, and it worked. It worked. Um, yeah, so we're, we're liberating ourselves from all this stuff that is just it's just unpleasant. It's just dukkha. So let's. I mean, it's great that you recognize it and you let it go, and you found all of you. You're all, and this is why we do this. We we talk about 
how the Dhamma works for us. And it reinforces us in, in all of us as we talk about it. And it's just that way. And this is me and David were talking on the way here. That's what happened in the original Sangha too. The Buddha or one of the other teachers gave a teach, a teaching, and then they talked about it a little bit and saw how it fit into their lives. That's just what we're doing. Thank you, Adam. Dhamma teacher Ram. I'm sorry, I didn't turn the camera on you folks. Oh, well. Where's my... I got to get wrong up there. There he is. So this is the second or the third teaching that he gave. Uh, I got to remember now. Sit in the wheel of the Darwin Ocean. I can't remember. I think it's a third. Yeah. Yeah, it is a third. Right. It's a third. The very this is the third teaching that the Buddha gave about a month after he uh, he himself awakened mm -hmm. and formed this original sangha. It was very so, early on. So he's already been teaching. Informally, five bhikkhus, uh, and this is really where he lays out the practical part of, of the Dhamma. Yeah, he heard these. This is what you do. Yeah, he heard these these young bhikkhus, these young monks, trying to figure out what it, what what is this self? If it's not this, if it's not that, he heard that kind of. And a lot of the suttas, the Buddha didn't have a, a book of suttas that he taught from. He taught contemporaneously, whatever was going on in the Sangha mm -hmm. is where these suttas came, for the most mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. and, and this is one of them where he, it's, a, it's really a response to the confusion that these original mm -hmm. five guys had. And again, the brilliance of Siddhartha and the Dhamma is it's just as relevant today, too. Right. Because we're, we're addressing the same thing as these five guys from 2,600 years ago, the same issue of Dukkha mm -hmm. and I'm making. But it, it's it, it struck me just now listening to this how how utterly practical this this particular teaching is. Yeah. This is your situation. And this is what you do. You know, this is it's all happening in your mind anyhow. So this is how you deal with this stuff in in your mind. Yeah. And then you know he adds to all of it. The whole, the whole body of the Dharma comes. <clears throat> Well, actually, the question I was already there, uh, <clears throat> but at some point, dependent uh, origination gets taught, um, and all the all the fine points of it, but the, the core of it is right here. Yeah. One day, yeah. one teaching. Yeah. If we can do this, we will liberate ourselves. And the other, the teachings like on dependent origination, they help explain the process of eye making. It's not. Dependent origination of Paticca Samuppada Sutta is not well, something that we have to memorize in order to stop eye making. It's just a teaching that informs us about that process. You know, and the Four Noble Truths are just, I, don't, I should count one day. There's, I don't know if there's a 150 words to Four Noble Truths, mm -hmm. but that's what we're learning. You know, we're, we're learning that the experience of Four Noble Truths in our, in our own humanity. Just like that. Thank you, Dhamma teacher Jen. Hi, hi everybody. Been enjoying this class. Um, Mary's waving. <laughs> <laughs> um, even now when I hear the phrase "form is not self," I get like confused. But then if I sort of re-listen to it as "form is not self." Yeah then 
it, it makes more sense to me because the experience of being in a body is our human experience. So when I have an experience of this form or, and I bring that experience into a thinking, languaging consciousness space, then I limit that experience to only my previous experiences <laughs> yeah. of this form and only my conditioning around my experiences of this form. So that's I making. Yeah. And when I remind myself that form is not self, I create some distance between the experience of form and the thinking about and languaging of that experience, yeah. which takes me yeah. out of the experience. Yeah. So that's what I think he meant. And, and, and that, that was an excellent, um, I think you might be a scientist the way you, you <laughs> clearly explained that. That really was outstanding. <laughs> Thank you, Dhamma teacher, scientist, Jen. <laughs> Here's David. I'm all set, Jeff. <laughs> Thank <clears> you. <throat> Thank you all. It was, uh, uh, for me, just another great uh, trip down this uh, truth to happiness. Uh, <clears throat> I'm really glad I wrote this book. And <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate it more and more. Um, as time goes on, you know, I, I, I kind of threw it together because I was asked to put a program together for 100 Medical Center for some of the, the staff there. Um, and I only had about a month and a half. So it, it, Becoming Buddha was going to be my first book, but I needed something to work as an outline that we could actually refer to what they asked. Um, and so I put this together in reference to Becoming Buddha. But it's that was 2012, I think I published it, and it's it stood the test of time. You wrote it that fast? It was it was about six weeks that I did not. I, I had a, I rewrote the book. Right. But in, in about six weeks, I had enough that I could use um, for this thing in, in uh, at the hospital, and then it just became you know as I cleaned it up a little bit. It's like a curriculum kind of thing that you wrote. Yeah, and they wanted to they wanted to see something before they would give me the final approval to go mm -hmm. and do it. And so this this was the book but not published in this way. That's pretty damn good for Well I had I, I already had a lot of becoming Buddha written. So because okay. I, I, I was referencing that. Right. Yeah and, and Yeah, again, the, the sutta, you know, how many times have I taught it and we've heard it? And it, it, there's always something in there. And, you know, the Dhamma is just like that. But we're like that. You know, the Dhamma is reflective of, uh, truly reflective of our own humanity, our, our humanness. And we go, we find more and more out about ourselves, the more we can let ourselves alone, can't we? Or don't we? And it, to me, that's amazing. Because I always thought that I had to strive really hard. 
to do something. And as far as Adam was concerned, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And I'm liberated. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Does anybody have anything else they'd like to add before we finish with Meta? Nobody. See you both. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, content and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision and being freed from all sense desires, is not born again in the, into the world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.